Welcome once again to the Cognitive Bias Podcast. I'm your host, David Dylan Thomas. Uh, today, we are going to talk about benefactance, which is kind of a made-up word, but as Thor said, all words are made up. Um, this season, uh, season four, we're going to be focusing on biases about memory uh, and how faulty it could be, and benefactance is kind of one of those. And um, the basic idea is that when things go well, we like to cr- take credit, and when things do not go well, we don't. Um, so benefactance is the notion that you'll take credit for success and you will deny responsibility for failure. Is a term coined by A. Greenwald in a 1980 paper, The Totalitarian Ego, Fabrication and Revision of Personal History. And uh, I'll link to the whole paper in the show notes on our uh, Facebook page, Cognitive Facebook.com Cognitive Bias Podcast. Um, and it's uh, the word itself is a compound of beneficence, which is kind of like doing good, and effectance, which is sort of a competence, right? So your competency comes out when you're doing good, and it has nothing to do with when things go bad. And it's this notion of an ego-enhancing attribution, and we talked about that a lot last season when we were talking about social biases and this idea that, you know, generally uh, a lot of our um, biases are self-serving. They sort of preserve our ego, our sense of self, our sense that we're good people. Um, and in the paper, um, Greenwald brings up uh, some just really cool quotes I want to read here. Um, so this is Bartlett, 1932, says, Alike with the individual and the group, the past is being continually remade, reconstructed in the interests of the present. Uh, another good quote, As historians of our own lives, we seem to be, on the one hand, very inattentive, and on the other, revisionists who will justify the present by changing the past. That's Wixson and Laird, 1976. And then my favorite, uh, George Orwell, Who controls the past, ran the party's slogan, controls the future. Who controls the present, controls the past. So that's George Orwell uh, from 1984, but uh, I remember that quote best from Rage Against the Machine, uh, Testify. Um, it's a great little quote, right? But all of those sort of noting that, like, the past isn't really about the past. The past is about the present, what you need now. And what makes um, Greenwald's paper really interesting is he's making this comparison between how, like, the ego works and how totalitarian regimes work, right? And how they control information and use information and revise the past, right, to make whatever's going on in the present look best. And so you think about things like... Um, Confederate memorials, right, and the argument we're having about them now is very much this notion of, like, the reason you put up all these memorials, and, you know, it's not a coincidence when those memorials first started getting put up, um, you put them up uh, because there's something important about the present um, that needs uh, justification from the past, right? We need to justify our past because we need to maintain control in the present. And, you know, this is a very American phenomenon. We Again, we're seeing this play out now with immigration camps, with all sorts of things where we're trying to use the past to contextualize the present and say either say, this isn't that, or whatever that is, it's not what you think it is, um, so that we can make the present seem more justifiable. And even then, it's, okay, if something bad is going on here, we're not responsible, but if something good is happening, great, you know. Um, if the economy is going well, the, everything is wonderful. The, the, we, we did that. If the economy is bad, oh, the pre- previous president did that, right? You, you see those things play out all the time at a political level. And what Greenwald is saying here is that the exact same mechanism is going on in the personal, internal level. Um, 
And he has some interesting ideas here. So he says that ego is basically an organization of knowledge. And as a content strategist, that's really fascinating to me to sort of think about an information architecture, right, for the brain that is self-serving. And we actually see this uh, with clients all the time where um, I was talking to uh, somebody the other day. We were sort of saying this phrase, you know, your org structure is showing. <laughs> like if you look at a lot of websites, especially corporate websites or marketing websites, the na navigation, right, is the same as their internal corporate structure of the departments, which often is useless for a user because it has nothing to do with what the user wants. Um, well, what he's kind of saying is our brains are the same way. Our, our, our internal nav structure, right, that we construct uh, for our sense of self is very self-serving, right? It isn't really useful to anyone else. Um, but, uh, but that can, you know, that can lead to biases and errors. Um, so the benefactance here uh, is really just one of three biases that he's saying ego uses, you know, to sort of have this totalitarian, like, you know, control over the brain. Um, and the first one is uh, egocentricity, right? And just basically the, the fundamental notion that the self is the focus of knowledge, right? I know what I know because of me. Like, I, I am the focus of all, all, all knowledge. Uh, benefactance is the second one of those, right? And then the third one is cognitive conservatism, which is basically resistance to change. And again, you can see that at the political level all the time, right? But you can also, he's saying, you can also see this, like, internally. Um, and in terms of memory, right, where this really plays out is this idea that the, the ego is uh, your personal historian, right? And you can kind of see right away where that's dangerous, right? Like, if your ego is only ever going to, if its job is to preserve your sense of self, your good sense of self, well, it's kind of color your history to always make you look like the good guy. Um, and we usually remember our things with ourselves as the main character, which again makes perfect sense. But, you know, obviously in the context of the world, no, you're not always the main character and you are in other people's lives, the supporting character, but it's hard for us to make that mental shift. Although I think it would be an interesting exercise from time to time for us to do that and sort of, well, what does the world look like when I'm the supporting character or when I'm, when I'm the background player, right? Like just to sort of, I don't know, get a little compassion <laughs> in there. Um, but, um, uh, but yeah, your ego will fabricate history, right, to that end. Um, and this gets into many uh, biases we've talked about in the past, in particular, illusion of control. And you'll probably see some examples kind of pop up again here as I go through this. But um, again, in the paper, he does some great quote pulls here around how illusion of control plays into this. And illusion of control, as you remember, is basically just, hey, you think you can control more things than you can actually control. Um, but uh, the phrasing he uses, right, um, or the phrasing people use when they're talking about things that turn out bad and how they shift blame externally when that happens is fascinating. So the example he gives is from the San Francisco Sunday Examiner and Chronicle, the April 22nd, 1979, page 35. Um, so these are people who were talking about accidents they had been in. And here's one quote, as I approached the intersection, a sign suddenly appeared and a place where a stop sign had never appeared before. I was unable to stop in time to avoid an accident. All right. And another one, the telephone pole was approaching. I was attempting to swerve out of its way when it struck my front end. Okay. The telephone pole was not approaching. The telephone pole was stationary. You were approaching it, right? But we will go so far as to give inanimate objects agency in order to avoid responsibility for accidents. Um, this also plays out in gambling, right? So if you are winning, you think you're doing something right, right? And maybe it's a lucky tie or whatever, but like you, or the way that you're pulling on the slot, whatever, when you're winning, you think you're doing something right. When you're losing, oh, something bad is happening. Some, that guy standing over there, you're bad luck, go away, right? Like we externalize when things aren't going well. Um, and 
there's an interesting, uh, it's interesting to see how this also plays into other people's experiments. So uh, there's this thing called the Zygarnik effect, which I'll probably actually talk about in a future episode, but um, the, the basic uh, TLDR is um, if we're performing a task and we get interrupted, we'll remember that task better than tasks that we have completed. Um, and that generally is true, but there is a variation. If the interruption, and these guys... Um, I'll link to the the in the show notes the, the a, a different experiment the, these these folks who did this but um, if you're performing a task and you get interrupted and that interruption sort of leads to failure in some way versus completion of the task leading to success in that case you'll actually remember the completed task better and kind of try to forget the incomplete task or the interrupted task because that was counted as a failure and we don't like to remember failures or take credit for failures so um, it's interesting how one bias can kind of overcome another. Um, and then another experiment that you can do kind of a variation on with this is Milgram's experiment, where he was basically having people shock other people. Um, and uh, it was really an experiment that had to do with, you know, control and authority and, like, when are we willing to give up seat authority and, like, how far are we willing to go if someone tells us to do something. Um, so in a kind of, like... Um, version of this um a couple of folks i'll link to again in the show notes who who did this um they looked at this from the point of view of feelings of responsibility and if the shock that the person was delivering was severe they were less likely to consider it their fault than if it was less severe right so if the shock was severe oh that wasn't me if it was less severe okay yeah i did that um what was really interesting here is if there was a third party observer watching this play out and the shock was more severe, then they would actually blame the person giving the shock more than if the shock was less severe. So they did the reverse. If they're looking at it from the outside and you did something really bad, they'd be like, oh, that's your fault. But if you did something less bad, they'd be like, okay, maybe it's not your fault. Um, and it's interesting because this ties into some biases we've talked about before where it's like in a, like a civil suit or um, a jury trial. Like the worse the outcome, the more they think either the person guilty is guilty, or if it's kind of a personal responsibility thing, the more it's like, oh, you should have known better, If, but only if the result was really more severe. You see this in malpractice suits, too. So it's interesting to see that even pop up with Milgram. Um, another really interesting one that we've kind of touched on before um, is vicarious benefactance, right? And it's this notion that not only will you take more responsibility if something is a win? But if someone else does something that's a win and you're associated with them, you'll take more responsibility. And you see this play out with sports, right? So they did this on like college campuses where the team, the college's team, if they had won the day before, then people were more likely to wear their jersey than if they had lost. And even in the way they talk about a win or a loss, so it's like if your team wins, you'll say, we won that game. If your team loses, you'll say they lost, right? They'll, you'll suddenly distance yourself when your team isn't winning. Um, and so even when it isn't you, you prefer to take credit for wins and not take credit for losses. Um, now, this was weirdly pre-challenged. So he did his work, Greenwald did his thing in 1980. Uh, Dale, Dale T. Miller and Michael Ross in 75 uh, wrote this thing, uh, Self-Serving Biases and the Attribution of Causality Factor Fiction, which I'll also link to. And their sort of thing was, okay, uh, maybe it isn't really just about ego preservation. Like maybe there's some other factors in work. And their supposition, and what they, what they had found in their study was that there was more evidence that this plays out for success than for failure, right? So if things go well... Um, yeah, we, we like to take credit. It wasn't as clear that we didn't like to take credit when things went poorly. And what they were sort of supposing, so their supposition was um, 
maybe it's not the ego. Maybe we just expect our behavior to produce success. Like just that's the, the formula we have in our brains, right? Um, so it isn't necessarily about wanting to distance ourselves from failure. It's just, oh, when we do things, there is a result. And that result is, a, is, is what we intended to happen is what will happen. Um, and then they also thought maybe there's a closer relationship between the action and the outcome with success than with failure, which again comes back to this notion of I do a thing with a particular intent, so that intent's going to play out. It's just an expectation thing. But my favorite sort of factor they considered was maybe we just don't get how cause and effect works, right? They said people misunderstand contingency. <laughs> so it's like maybe you just don't actually understand what cause and effect means, and that's why you're misattributing these things, which I think is funny and scarily plausible. Um, so anyway, a lot of really interesting stuff there about uh, memory and I, I like this one because it's kind of a bridge between like the social biases we were talking about in the last season and the memory biases we're going to talk about in this season but um, don't trust your own brain and when you're trying to remember things try to remember other people's stories as well and that might help um, you not over uh, attribute you know your own actions uh, in, in what's happened in the past um, so that is all for this week uh, for the Cognitive Bias Podcast. I'm your host, David Donald Thomas, and we will talk again next time. <laughs>